All right, we'll start, I'll just start with a prayer and then we'll dive into the passage here. And I'll do it like we've been doing it, just the three-time Lexio, and be especially attentive to things that stick out from the text, but even more so your heart's response to those things, the thoughts, feelings, and desires that come up. And then in those times of silence, to acknowledge them, but then most importantly, to relate them to God. He's the one speaking to you somehow, and there's things stirring in your heart to just become, you're trying to build a habit, a contemplative habit of being aware when things stir in our heart, ordinary, extraordinary, the Word of God, our daily lives, and then to be aware of those things and to open them up to God into relationship with Him, and then receive what He's trying to give. Remember, He's tirelessly calling us to this mysterious encounter called prayer. He's calling us this morning. We're just trying to enter in it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence and your majesty and your love. We thank you for your gift of yourself in Jesus. Teach us how to pray deeply from our hearts to allow you access to our deepest movements, our desires, our feelings, our thoughts. Help us to relate everything to you, to hold nothing back so we may receive more fully and drink more deeply of your love and your life to grow into who we we are. We pray especially for grace of healing, wholeness, and freedom. I'm praying with Luke 5, 12 through 16. Now there was a man full of leprosy in one of the towns where he was. And when he saw Jesus, he fell prostrate, pleaded with him, and said, Lord, if you wish, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I do will it, be made clean. And the leprosy left him immediately. Then he ordered him not to tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed. That will be proof for them. The report about him spread all the more, and great crowds assembled to listen to him and to be cured of their ailments but he would withdraw to deserted places to pray. Now there was a man full of leprosy in one of the towns where he was. And when he saw Jesus, he fell prostrate, pleaded with him and said, Lord, if you wish, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I do will it, be made clean. And the leprosy left him immediately. Then he ordered him not to tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed. That will be proof for them. The report about him spread all the more, and great crowds assembled to listen to him and to be cured of their ailments but he would withdraw to deserted places to pray.
Now there was a man full of leprosy in one of the towns where he was. When he saw Jesus, he fell prostrate, pleaded with him, and said, Lord, if you wish, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I do will it, be made clean. And the leprosy left him immediately. Then he ordered him not to tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed. That will be proof for them. The report about him spread all the more, and great crowds assembled to listen to him and to be cured of their ailments. But he would withdraw to deserted places to pray. Anybody willing to share stirring experience? I think for me, the part where he said, it says Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And like he's a leper, that's like a highly contagious skin disease. Like I don't think anybody would want to touch that leper, but God does that. And I feel like I'd be like that leper. Like I fall victim to being scared to go into confession and like just being embarrassed about that. Um, but Jesus, like, he invites himself into that. It, he doesn't care if it's dirty or, like, gross. Like, he'll go and do that and willingly. And I feel like also I look up to the leper just because, like, when he sees Jesus, he falls prostrate on his face and begs him already. And, again, like, I get scared going to confession. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. That's sticking out to me. So the feeling where you said there was scared, so is there, there's this fear that kind of comes up in you as you see the closeness of Jesus to this leper? Yeah, like to be face to face with him and then like even have him touch you is mm-hmm. crazy. That's it's scary. Yeah. So then the invitation there is to just, what happens when you talk to God about that fear? You know, even to Jesus in this, in this scene as you imagine him. Maybe you're the leper and you, you or you look up to him and you're watching this happen to him and you're like, I can't do that. You know, but just to be in that experience of it's okay that I'm not that leper right now. This is Abby, this is who I am. But to still be able to talk to Jesus about that movement. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So in direction, that's where I would lead someone if you brought up that experience, you'd be like, Okay, talk to God about the fear. How is he towards you in your in your fearfulness of, of that closeness. And then, you're, then you would pray, and you'd contemplate, ask for the grace. Um, I think the phrase that like, stirred me was that he fell prostrate. And I think what's, the reason it like, moved me is that I have been like, I'm very relational with the Lord and very like chill, but like forget that he is God. Um, and like, yeah, it, like basically the movement was like, there was a desire to like actually like worship him for who he is. Um, but also in like relating that and like imagining myself like being prostrate before the Lord, um, at the same time, like his invitation to me was to like still raise my head. So like not like be in this like overly, I'm not good enough, I'm nothing, but to like still be in relationship with him while like actually acknowledging his like who he is and his majesty. Mm-hmm. What was that like? 
it was like aff affirming in that, um, yeah, I think to like, I've known, oh yeah, we're not just servile creatures to the Lord, like we are beloved, um, but like how do we reconcile that with like also we are nothing compared to him, and so to like actually experience this like, oh yeah, I can like worship and like recognize his majesty, but also be in, but he like still desires a relationship. I'm not just a, like a servile creature. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like affirming or just like, affirming and confirming of like, that's what I've known and to like actually experience that. Mm -hmm. Besides affirming, like be just being in the, the majesty of God. I don't know, it just felt like right, like fitting. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't like overwhelming by any means, mm -hmm. but um, just like this is how it should be. Mm -hmm. It's good, there's no wrong answers. I'm just trying to get to the, you know, like the desire there that you mentioned was to worship God, which is, that's uh, profound. In there is like awe and wonder and majesty. Affirming and confirming, those are good feelings. Um, but they're not as, maybe as deep as the grace you're asking for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that might be, it sounds like it's around like the intellectual aspect, not so much the experience aspect of like, what is that really like to worship Jesus? Mm -hmm. the, what this leper is doing, falling prostrate, I kind of want to be in that. So to give your desire credit that like there's more there and to ask for it. And even like entering into the confusion of like, I don't have to have it figured out the right balance and like I'm that's I'm asking for help mm -hmm. to understand that. Good, thank you. Maybe one more. Ali? I think I was still trying to understand scripture as being like true, like factual. I think I was taught to consider it as a story with like metaphors and things like this didn't really happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, 10 seconds ago, I started, like, I realized, like, okay, this really happened. What does that mean? Mm. And kind of, it's like a new vista for me to understand scripture. Um, I, at first, identified a lot with the crowd. I feel like I kind of, I'm part of that crowd a bit, like, hearing about the, like, the good news, like, this God came to earth and cured the ill. And I'm not the leper, I'm kind of not like jumping at jumping at the chance of like prostrating myself. I'm not doing that. I just heard the great news and I'm rushing to this guy, like please help me with this, this and that. Mm -hmm. But um, I should try to I should strive to be the, the leper in this case. Mm -hmm. What was that like as as part of the crowd? What was your experience of it? Um find it like I guess at times thinking that I, I was like left behind. It says that Jesus mm. went to pray, went to the desert to pray, um, to deserted places to pray. And yeah, so I guess if that's silence or not, I'm not sure, but I had to wrap my head around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. The, the feeling of being left behind, and I'm certain for many of us it's a familiar feeling, but that and just being in the presence of Jesus, wanting to be close to him, like the leper, but then feeling a little bit like on the out, lost in the crowd maybe, just to dwell in that experience, not in a 
self-pity way, but to talk to God about that. Yeah, I might be identifying with him a little bit too much. Um, Who? The crowd. Because mm. I, I guess I just have been feeling a bit lost, and I think that I should, like, if Jesus were... Like, I'm kind of confused as to why um, Jesus wouldn't, um, like, be there to, like, give me an explanation or something. Mm-hmm. But I just have to wrap my head around that over time. Well, even more so, bring bring that feeling of being lost and uh, to the Lord. That's that's what the invitation, what we're doing here is just He's here, He's in all of these. Nothing is hidden from Him in your heart, and He wants to be in communion with you, and He's working hard to bring it about. So these things that are are coming up, these are not shallow things. You guys are mentioning these desires, these feelings. This is who you are. These are deep movements. Um, and it's, it's simple, but it's difficult to, to simply relate something. To, to, I mean, we've all probably had this experience like in a human relationship. It's like, I have something I need to tell you, but I can't do it. So we're just going to make small talk. And it's like painful. And then every time I think I'm about to do it, I get really nervous and my palms sweat. And then I go away and I didn't say it. And then I feel crappy because that was a totally fake interaction. Anyone ever had that kind of experience? Um, uh, And that's okay if that happens in prayer. Like, God knows we're limited, and there are things that we're afraid of or we we don't even understand. They're overwhelming to us. We don't know how to formulate them and talk to God about them, but that's where it just, the simpler the better. Like, God, help me not hide from you. Help me relate to you. Teach me how to pray. Good. Thank you for sharing. So we're going to talk a little bit today about forgiveness and healing. This is not going to be a super in-depth thing on healing of wounds or memories and stuff, but just we have some um, understanding as these, as these things come up in your heart and in your prayer and maybe in spiritual direction or maybe even in counseling, um, some understanding of, of woundedness and the Lord's will to heal it. Um, so these images and this list and stuff, this is from Bob Shute's book, Be Healed. The thing on the back, it says sexual integration and wholeness is actually just a, I think someone's use of Bob Shute's image. It's just integration and wholeness. This is a particular um, thing focused on chastity, but the, the principles still hold. And then the front one is anger, which is an, an example that Bob uses in uh, his book. Um, but the overall analogy of the tree and the trunk and the roots, you maybe heard this through relationship identity mission talks. Your relationship with God is the roots. Your identity is the trunk. And then the fruit, the leaves and the fruit are your mission. So everything comes from and is nourished by and is stabilized by your relationship of unconditional love with God, which gives you your identity, helps you to grow into who you are. And then the fruit is those things that come out of your identity rooted in in love. Um, He uses the same kind of image, but uh, for sin and virtue, that uh, the, the two trees in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, one representing how God wants us to live and to grow and to be in him, his friends, and the other being the symbol of sin, 
our, our ungodly self-reliance to make our own meaning, to build our own happiness, to be apart from God. Um, and so the, the analogy is like that, let's say the, the tree is an apple tree. And the, the, uh, you just, and the apples are your sins, you know? Okay, so you, you gossip, or you look at porn, or you lie. Um, and the, the, these things that, like, you keep doing, and you keep bringing to confession, um, and then you confess them, you say you're after contrition, you get back in the state of grace, but then you go and do them again. And it's like you're just gathering apples and they keep falling off the tree and you just keep bringing them to confession, dumping them in the garbage. And like these apples keep coming. And what do you need to do to stop the apples from forming? Pick them all off the tree, but then they, they grow back. So you, you cut the tree down or you better yet uproot it. Like you grind up the roots and then, and then, it's, then it's gone. Then there's no more apples. So the idea is that these sins are coming from something. They're coming from somewhere. They're habits. They're bad habits you don't want to do. Is this St. Paul's um, thing about the flesh? I do what I do not want to do, but I do what I hate. Like the thing I want to do is in my heart, but I can't do it. And the thing I don't want to do, I try to stop, but I still do it. We've all experienced this. This is the state of original sin. Um... And what Bob Schutz is, is saying, and, and this is also from IPF, uh, where a lot of the, what I'm talking about in contemplative prayer is coming from, is that um, there's this rootedness in what he calls ungodly self-reliance, basically the pride of sin, of trying to, to move away from God um, because of some, some wound some lack of trust in God's goodness. Uh, something happened to us where then we believe that we're on our own. I am abandoned. I am not worth loving. Something's wrong with me. You know, we haven't received this unconditional love. And sometimes this neglect is even worse than like a violent act of cruelty because it just leaves us confused and we're like, I, I thought I was worth loving. I thought there was something good about me. I thought I was unique and special, but apparently I'm just nothing. I'm something extra in the world. I need to apologize for existing. I can't make my needs known because they won't be met. Nobody cares. So I'm just going to go meet them myself. You know, we make some kind of deal with ourselves. Like, I'm just not going to rely on anyone, much less God. And then some kind of form of idolatry enters in. Like, how I'm going to defend against this, this feeling, this wound, because it's a very tender place. And maybe you, you've felt this, like certain things just stoke in you, like some temptation or some visceral reaction that's like way out of proportion with the thing that's actually happening to you. Like, why am I so mad right now at this thing that like nobody else seems to notice? It's like hitting some tender part of your heart that's wounded. And you have a habit of defending yourself, which is totally understandable. Like, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to, I don't want to be hurt here. So you deal with a habit. You've developed a habit 
for coping with it. So the example here is anger. Anger, by the way, is, is a good thing. It's the passion that God puts in our hearts to rectify wrongs. You know, when we see something happening that's bad, anger is stoked in us and we want to correct it. Uh, God has anger. God has wrath. But God's wrath is loving. It's this steadfast resistance to sin and death. He won't, he won't allow evil to just be uncorrected. But he doesn't act in this um, egocentric, selfish, defensive way where anger is just like out of proportion with its, its thing. And, it's, and we get angry not just at the, at the wrong, but at the person who wronged us. And we impute all sorts of motives and we seek vengeance, all this stuff. And it has these two manifestations. He says there's the, this, the hidden anger, that stuff that's going on in your, in your heart, hidden from everybody else. You might have a smile on your face, but you've got self-righteousness, judgment, bitterness, resentment, depression, suicide, sickness, disease. Like all these things are expressions of this deep inner anguish. They're like, I'm alone in the world. No one cares about me and everybody's bad. <laughs> and everyone's hurting me and no one cares about me. And I just live with this bitterness and this resentment. One that he didn't write here, uh, fantasy justice. You ever like lay in bed, mad at somebody, and you just think of all the things you, you should have said or you're going to say next time this happens. And then they, re- they react and you're like, yeah, well, and then you get them there and, and you just keep having this argument in your head and it's not real and nothing ever happens except you don't get enough sleep. This is this disease, this sickness that's in us because of the wound. Or then the expressed anger, verbal abuse, insult, slander, rage, revenge, retaliation, murder, violence, malice, gossip. These ways that we express our anger as a way of dealing with our woundedness. This, by the way, does not excuse this behavior. It's not like, oh, well, because you're wounded, you can't help it. You just abuse people. Or you just walk around anger and bitter and not fun to be around. It doesn't excuse that. Those are still choices you're making. You know, and the Lord is still offering healing and forgiveness and grace. And you still do need to go to confession, get rid of the apples. But what we're saying is that there's, there's a deeper anatomy to your soul. And just white-knuckling it and trying to stop behaving this way, it's not working for a reason. There's something deeper going on. Again, so this is very cursory. And a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. So don't go, I'm going to talk more about this, but don't go into the chapel like trying to find all your wounds. Okay, because ungodly self-reliance is especially dangerous in this process. Like trying to find my own wounds, trying to heal myself, trying to figure this all out, solve the puzzle. Okay, I think I figured it out. Now I'm not going to sin anymore. That's Pelagianism. It's a heresy. You'll go to hell if you believe it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So it's God that is doing this. It's God that reveals the wounds, and he does it in a very personal and gentle way. It's God who heals it. So this is just a helpful framework, just a way to kind of awaken to this deeper reality that's, that's happening in your heart so that you can help Jesus do this. So he has the seven deadly sins, and then the object of idolatry that they represent, which I, I thought this is a very, very helpful um, list. So, pride is a way of like basically making self and accomplishments 
the object of my worship instead of God and his love for me. Like I don't, I don't know that I'm loved or lovable, so I'm just going to be really good at stuff. And I'm just going to make sure everybody knows how good I am at stuff and how cool I am and how smart I am and how funny I am. I am the center of the universe as a way of um, accommodating the fact that I've been treated as if I don't matter. Envy makes status, possession, talents, this insecurity that I am enough or I have enough. I, uh, I just try to get more what other people have, so I have more than them. Gluttony, food, drink, drugs, feeling good is going to make this pain go away. If I just get enough of it, enough of that stuff, then I won't, I won't ever have to worry about dealing with this pain, this wound. Lust, sex, relationships, beauty, those will make me happy. At times it's a feeling of being undesirable, rejected, not wanted. And this ex- escape into fantasy assuages that feeling of, of rejection, of being a nobody. Anger. I feel powerless and hopeless and mistreated. So I seek power, control, justice. I'll take it for myself. I'll create it. I'll tell people how to treat me. Greed. I'm totally insecure. Totally poor and by myself. I need help, but nobody will give it to me, so I'll just get a ton of wealth and then I'll be secure. If I just have everything and I'm the one doling it out to others, then I'll never be dependent. And sloth, this is worship of comfort and ease. This means like, I, what's the point of even trying? Nothing ever works out. Nobody's looking at me anyway. I'll never get what I want, so I'll just, I'll just give up. At least I can feel comfortable. I don't have to try so hard. So this is just, again, like some idea of these things don't come from nothing. You're not just a prideful person because that's who you are. You're reacting to something. And on the other side, this is how God wants us to live, the tree of life. <clears throat> Where our, our roots are in this security of experiencing healing love, experiencing unconditional God love. You know, where you don't have to do anything to earn it. It's because of who you are, who he made you to be. This is why he loves you. And then because you're secure and you're drawing your life from him, you're able to become mature. You grow. Not into this tree of poison fruit, but into this tree of good fruit. And then purity comes. Then that's where good acts, virtuous acts come from, is remaining in Jesus. So it's basically being either rooted in God and his love for us or being rooted in my own vainglory, self-reliance, trying to figure it out by myself, create my own meaning. And usually, on a daily basis, we're somewhere in between. We're either living out of the tree of life or we're living out of the tree of of knowledge of good and evil. Depends on our mood, depends on what's happening to us, depends on whether or not our wounds are being stoked or we're in a in a situation or a community um, where it's more clear to us that we're loved and we belong and we can trust God's goodness. Sometimes it's just the ups and downs of the spiritual life. Consolation, desolation. 
So there's always a choice. We ha- it's, it's, this is not magic. Like, as long as I'm rooted in secure love, I'll automatically be a good person. You, can't, you, you have to choose which tree. So I used this analogy a while back about trying to do heart surgery on yourself. Like, when you go into the chapel, this is, again, to go back to, like, don't try to, now that you ha- are armed with this knowledge and these objects of idolatry and seven deadly sins, like, okay, now I can figure it out and, and heal myself, cure myself, be my own doctor. <clears throat> don't try to do that. It's like trying to do heart surgery on yourself, like using a mirror and telling them not to anesthetize you too much, and you're just, like, cutting arteries and stuff. And, um, you know, even as you read, if we're, we're talking about this next year, doing this next year, reading Be Healed, and, and as a community, um, starting to talk about woundedness and, and the root of sin and, and trying to live a full life the way God wants us to, um, but even still, it's like, uh, as you dive into these things, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Um, and we can start to become, the object of idolatry is healing, you know? Um, and God becomes kind of like this vending machine for, for therapy and, and um, fixing myself. Sister Miriam James has a great quote, she, uh, or phrase she uses, that Christianity is not sin management. Meaning, like, okay, I just need to solve the problem of my sin, and then I'll be a saint. <clears throat> That's not how saints are made, by using God to get at perfection. This is why this, this tree image is so important, is because it's the primary reality <clears throat> is God, and our communion with him, and that is also the goal. It's where everything starts and where everything ends. It doesn't end with, now I'm good, God, thanks for helping me. I, I became a saint. Saints are saints because now they, they live with God in heaven. Their, their hearts are com- completely open and, and transparent to his grace, and so they can enjoy communion with him perfectly forever. Um, so no matter where you are, no matter how wounded you are right now, you can enjoy communion with God. And it's in communion with God that healing will happen so that you can enjoy even deeper and more permanent communion with God. I'll say that again. No matter how wounded you are right now, you can enjoy communion with God. He wants to give you that gift. And he is giving you that gift. And in communion with God you will experience healing so that you can enjoy even deeper and more permanent communion with God. So this is the danger, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but this is the danger with the searching for wounds or reading self-help books. There's, there's psychological stuff to this, and it's helpful to be aware of human psychology because grace builds on nature. Our souls and our psyches, our spirit and our bodies, like everything is connected. You're a whole person. But information will not heal you. Just knowing what's wrong with you will not heal you. God will heal you. And it's in communion with him that you'll experience that healing. So there may come a time where you're like, this is helpful, Father. Like, now I know that this is why I do this sin. And it's even exciting. Like, you're figuring it out. Like, oh my gosh, yeah, this childhood experience I had. Like, I did experience this feeling of abandonment or rejection and... 
um, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe Jesus is showing me where it's at and this is going to happen. Okay. And then you're like trying to play make believe like, where's God? Okay. And you're just, then you're like overwhelmed because now it's an even more intense thing. Like I, I knew how to deal with my sin. <clears throat> I was going to confession. I was <clears throat> in an accountability group. I was in a Bible study. I was going to mass, receiving the sacraments. I feel like I was making some progress, but it, it was long and slow. This maybe is like a shortcut, like I can just uproot the whole thing. And, but now you're like down in the muck of your heart in the seriously deep stuff where there's a lot of hurt. And you're like, now you feel abandoned again. And you're like, is this it? And like, now God just showed me this thing and now I have to fix it. That's, you turn to God again. You're like, I, this is not my job. He's with you in it. And you don't have to, even if he like doesn't show up or... It doesn't happen the way you've heard other people tell stories of their healing experiences and stuff. It's okay. Everything is fine. You're not by yourself. And you don't have to do this all this morning or during this, during this holy hour. Like maybe it was just, yeah, Lord, I do, I, I do like feel this more intensely than I did before, even though it's painful. Um, help me with this. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand why they were the way they were when they treated me like that, and that made me feel this way. And there's a whole this this thing, and in some ways, it's stoking stoking the sin, the root of my sin, even more because I want to like correct it and fix it and be self reliant. So just help me not do that. So if you're feeling overwhelmed at your woundedness. Talk to God about being overwhelmed. Help me, Lord. There's some things to remember. Um, what happens a lot of times when you, when you face your woundedness is grief. You feel sad. Or empty. Or lonely. Or angry. Um... There's a big difference between, and Jesus says this in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's a big difference between grief and self-pity. Self-pity is actually a fruit of woundedness. You're like, nobody's going to feel bad for me, so I'm going to have to feel bad for myself. And it's like sort of prideful, like I'm going to tell people that they need to feel bad for me or try to manipulate them into feeling this with me. Um, it's a kind of performance. Whereas grief is a, a deep experience. So Mother Mary Frances says in her book on the Beatitudes about this, that comfort is this being with and giving strength, that the Lord comes to comfort those who mourn or grieve and makes them strong enough to suffer, makes them strong enough to grieve. <clears throat> he doesn't take, comfort is not taking away the suffering. It's not taking away the cross. It's carrying the cross with us. But if we're there performing and being and like, because it's, you see that performance, that self-pity is coming from a place of no one cares about me. No one's carrying this with me. So I'm going to make a big deal out of myself so that somebody comes and helps me or somebody, at least they feel bad. Like I can get vengeance on them for being so callous and uncaring. You know, it's, it's, it's this fruit of woundedness, whereas grief, the courage to enter into reality, the sadness of what's happened and what is happening, what's going on in your heart, that's an act of trust because 
I can do this. I can, I can experience this suffering because I'm not alone in it. There's a subtle difference, and sometimes they look the same, or they feel the same, but deep down we know, like, is this real, or am I putting on airs? Am I just telling God the truth, or am I trying to manipulate him into, or manipulating myself? There's the way that we can kind of like try to conjure feelings in prayer. You know, this is like some painful memory comes up, and you're thinking like, okay, uh, where's God in this? And you know, let's say some some experience when you were a kid, you were with your parents, and something happened. You're like, where's Jesus in it? And you're, and you're like trying to, you catch yourself, and you don't want to do it, but you're like, I've heard other people tell stories where Jesus like held them in these painful times, and and I want that, and I want to feel that, and so you're like imagining it, and you're trying to conjure this feeling of like healing and fullness and and love, um, but it's not happening, or it feels fake and it feels shallow and nothing's actually changing. And then you start judging yourself and you're like, ugh, is any of this even real? And am I hopeless? Everybody else seems to have this figured out. Conjuring feelings is not very helpful, but relating them is. And the, you can, the good thing is that like in that moment where you, find, you catch yourself in this self-reliant loop, even in prayer, trying to figure it out, trying to conjure the, the healing, conjure the feeling, there's an anxiety there. There's a restlessness there that you can talk to God about. You can relate that feeling. Again, the theme here is that you are not in charge. That you're not the one making this happen. It's you being yourself with God. As you actually are. talked a little bit about memories. Sometimes you hear people talk about redeeming memories. God has like redeemed this memory that was so painful, the source of such woundedness and fear and, and a lot of their sin is coming from this place because it's a reaction, a totally understandable defensive reaction um, to protecting this, this wound. And then God comes in and he, he redeems the memory. He makes this a place not of alienation and isolation and fear, but a place of communion and intimacy and comfort because you know you're not alone in it. And this is like the idea of Jesus' glorified wounds after his resurrection, is that we will have these wounds in heaven, but they'll be glorified. They'll be the places where we knew God's love the deepest. Um, but again, those, those things can be like, what you're, what you're not trying to do is like have a mystical revelation or have, have the experience that that person had when they brought this thing to prayer. Um, our role is to just be honest with God. To just relate, to feel our feelings with him. And if nothing happens, that's okay. And you can talk to God about how nothing happened and that you hoped that something would happen or you want something deeper, you want some healing, you want... Um, or even not to put you on the spot, Abby, but like what you, what you said about this closeness with Jesus there's this fear, like, oh, man, and you connected it with confession, right? Um, what's, what's going on there? I don't, I don't know. You, I don't know, you don't know, but, like, talking to God about that, he may, he may bring some more feelings up, and just to feel those feelings with him and, and to talk to him honestly. Um, and that's, that's a good example because 
there's a, in it a fear of being honest, right? A fear of being yourself with God. It's like, wow, this closeness. I see Jesus reaching out for this leper and touching him. Am I willing to let him get that close? You know, so before I go diving into my psyche uh, by myself, if I'm still afraid of letting Jesus touch me, getting that close, maybe just to be honest with him and from a distance, be like, it's scary to me for you to get really close to me. Um, you know, just to just start where you are, not to try to jump or skip steps. Any questions? on a practical note like what would you recommend if as we're praying and starting to like relate some of this yeah there's like more painful memories come up and like you can pray about it but like what other resources would you recommend mm-hmm. when things get like really more tough or yeah I think um, I mean spiritual direction counseling not being alone in it is really helpful um, if you trying to think I mean like not everything I don't want to say like every time you feel like deep distress you need to go to counseling Um, because there's also a temptation to like make a big deal of things uh, or a bigger deal of things and there's like when we don't feel special because of our woundedness sometimes our woundedness makes us feel special and we compensate and we're like look how wounded I am and and we kind of like blow it out of proportion Um, we can um, I want to be reverent about that. It's not like that's a judgment. It's just we're feeling beings, you know. Um, and so having good friends to have good conversations with and just be honest with, to have a regular habit of prayer, a spiritual director you meet with, um, and then your spiritual director will help you. Like if there's something deeper here that like requires counseling, um, even a 12-step group or medication, things like, like these things are all useful, um, but everybody's unique. Everybody's a person, and we all just want to be known. Um, and we're not a project. So that's, that's the other temptation I want to avoid is just being like, okay, well, now that you know about your woundedness, like take these steps and fix it. You are okay, <laughs> you know. Um, you're fine. And, and there are a lot of people around who are, are, can be very helpful. I'd like to frame it like that rather than like, uh-oh, now you know that you're screwed up, so go get this help. Does that make sense? Yeah. Daniel? Do you think you have a, like a rule of thumb or something for qualifying? Like This is a wound that God is trying to highlight that he would like to talk to me about versus that I'm going a holy hour to like let's sift through all the things that happened today and see if any of them were negative and if I should like, be healed of it or something like that? Mm-hmm. Good question. I think uh, you probably know right now that from the stuff that I said, what's stirring in your heart, you know, from the list of these seven deadly sins and these objects of idolatry, um, words like rejection, abandonment, uh, unwanted, sh- you know, shame, I'm dirty, I'm impure, whatever, uh, these, when things resonate with us, it's just, it's just a matter of like, as you are when you go into holy hour, um, or any time of prayer, to just what's on your heart right now, and 
uh, it's kind of the cumulative sum of a lot of what's happened during the day and what you've been talking about, what you've been hearing. But things just naturally rise to the surface, don't they? Um, and so I think that, that, to me, that's part of what's overwhelming about all this stuff. And all, all this is preaching. I'm preaching to myself when I talk to you about this. Like, uh, because you start reading a book and you're like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is what's wrong with me. And then you're like, but I'm going to forget all this. I need to underline it all. And, and then journal about it and, and like, uh, talk to my director about all, like, this specific stuff. And, and then it's like slipping through your fingers because you're forgetting. And you're like, I'll never be healed. Um, because it's so hard. It's so complicated. I'm not smart enough. I don't understand it. I don't understand my heart. I don't understand God. Why these things happen to me? Um, so that's where just hitting the reset button, being like, God, oh, that's how I feel. Um, chances are that's coming from a place of woundedness, that, that it's all on me to fix it. Does that make sense? It's nice because God's like the one person you can just be yourself with. You don't have to have it figured out, it's not a test when you go in to pray that you need to study for or know the answers. And that's, we learn these lessons somehow in our heart that like we can't be ourselves with people, even people who we know love us. Something happened to me that like just tells me like it's not safe. Um, and so I lie, I'm dishonest, I put on a false front or I fake it or, or whatever. I remember the first time I, I went to confession as a teenager and uh, confessed lust. It was like, oh my God, you can just tell people this? <laughs> like, I didn't even know that was possible. Um, much less that when you did tell somebody that they'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, you're forgiven. It's okay, and you can do better. It's radical. Like, well, wh- why did I get to 15 and never know that? Because I was wounded. Something was told to me, like, it's not okay to be yourself. It's not okay to not be perfect or, you know, make certain kinds of mistakes. So God, it was in communion. I wasn't even looking for it. So the Holy Spirit gave me the grace to be myself, to say these things. And then he gave me the grace that I got to receive, which was forgiveness. So you've had healing experiences. I guarantee it. Where a place of deep isolation, alienation, and shame became a place of communion and wholeness and love. You know how to do it. It's just God wants more for you. So don't be scared. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom and strength. It's the grace of your healing and openness to receive it. Lord Jesus, we see in you the face of the Father, his gentleness, his tenderness, his care for us. I invite you to come close to us, to teach us, to lead us into deeper freedom. We believe in you, and we love you. Mary, teach us how to depend on God, how to receive everything as a gift. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, 
and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.